All seven letters, Jesus starts off with his address to the churches with, I know. Jesus Christ knows. He knows every heart in this place. He knows you far better than you could ever know yourself. His knowledge is infinite. His glory is infinite. He is awesome. He is holy. Listen, he knows. He says, I know. Jesus Christ knows everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. Listen, because, because he is, he is everything. Hi, and welcome back to Live in the Light. I'm your host, Craig Turnbull, and with me in our studio is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, and we'll hear from him in just a moment. But if you're just joining us for the very first time here at Live in the Light, can we extend our heartiest welcome to you? And hey, thanks for joining us. Live in the Light exists and believes strongly that radical transformation comes about through the revelation of God's truth. Verse by verse, through God's word, as we see God's spirit change and transform us. Hey, that's what we're all about here at Live in the Light. Well, you've joined us in the middle of a series entitled One Thing. And for you who may be struggling with busyness, maybe the desk is cluttered, maybe the home is cluttered, this series is perfect for you as you maybe deal with a cluttered mind and what the priority should be for you in your own life. Well, God's word is very clear on this, isn't it, Robbie? We're pursuing today one thing in the church. That's right. And Jesus has a word for the church today and such a timely word for us coming from Revelation chapter 2, a passage that we know of, a passage that we need to hear again, that the greatest thing that the Lord wants from your life, Craig, from my life, from this church, from his church, is our love. That's why it's the greatest commandment. And Jesus says with his indictment upon the church here today within this text is that you've lost your first love. And so that's a great, great word for us to think about. Are we, are we distracted? Have we been looking at things that have been taking our heart and our affections away from the Lord? But now it's time then to get our minds renewed, to be called back to this one thing. There's one thing the church is to offer to the Lord. It's love for him that he might be most glorified. So a timely word for us right now. And um, a passage, again, we know, but I'm praying for fresh understanding and application supernaturally by the Spirit of God upon our listeners today, maybe so. Amen. Amen. So a passage for the church at Ephesus, but a passage for all of us here today. Just before we get to today's text, let me remind our listeners that if you'd like to get a copy of today's message, please make sure you visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's live in the L-I-G-H-T. While you're there on site, why not drop a note of encouragement? Let us know how God's been working in you through these messages, or maybe even drop a note how we can be praying for you. You can also phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. All right, let's get to today's message, Revelation chapter 2, and the message to the church at Ephesus And here now is Pastor Robbie. The purpose of this series is to examine how the one thing impacts all the areas of our lives. And today we will see this. It's one thing uh, impacts my church. So hence the sermon title is One Thing in My Church. 
one thing in my church. Uh, Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 7. Of course, Revelation is the final book of the Bible, found at the back of the New Testament. And I'll read our passage for us, and then we will will go. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's start with verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So with Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, we have the beginning of seven letters written to seven churches, which contain, of course, very powerful words. These seven churches were actual churches, which also carry a strong representation of the church throughout history, including our day today. This first letter is written to the church at Ephesus. Uh, The church at Ephesus was the most prominent church of the seven uh, listed Uh, Many churches, or at the very least ministries, began from the church of Ephesus. We find that out from the book of Acts. And at the time of the early church, the city of Ephesus probably contained over 250,000 people, which would have been huge for that day. So as we approach verse 1, we have the stage being set of what is to follow. Let's notice three things about verse 1. Number one, let's notice that there's an author. It says there, the words of him who holds the seven stars, the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Our loved ones, plain and simple, this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. For further proof, you can just look at Revelation chapter 1, flip back a page, look at verse 12, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, and see what it says. This is John writing, of course. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, ready, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like, were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. We'll get to the seven stars in just a second, but notice that this is Jesus Christ, and notice it's his words, the words of him, and notice it says, He holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's the author. 
It's Jesus Christ. Second, notice this, the messenger. The messenger, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. There is debate over who this angel is or what this angel is. Some wish to understandably label the angel as that an angel. However, strong arguments are made against uh, causing us to see the angel being an actual angel. And one of the main arguments is, is that um, angels, angels of God do not sin. What follows in this letter is this angel is part of the church of Ephesus and they are about to be challenged and confronted with sin. Um, so that doesn't add up. Also, um, as one commentator points out, why would God send his word to Jesus then to John, who's a man, then to an angel, and then back to the church. That doesn't seem to make sense either. The best explanation of angel is to understand that the word angel in the New Testament is also commonly referred to as a messenger. And so this means here that these angels or messengers would be representative leaders within their respective churches. And so we see here then that the words of Christ are being delivered through messengers to specific recipients. So we have an author, Jesus Christ, we have the messenger, and now notice the recipients. Now, many try and read into Scripture more than they need to, and the reason sometimes people read into Scripture more than they need to is they simply pass over basic logic. As the saying goes, it goes like this, if the plain sense makes good sense, Seek no other sense, lest it be nonsense. Okay, That's good when you're reading scripture. Don't read into it more than that's actually there. If the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. The seven stars. What are the seven stars? And what are the seven golden lampstands? Just look up like two verses. Actually, one verse. Revelation 1 uh, verse 20. Let's read it. Um, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Any questions? Thank you. Let's move on. All right. It's right there. It's right there. So just to recap, here we have Jesus Christ sending a message to specific churches with a very strong message. And the message of the church of Ephesus from Christ in my opinion, really cannot touch on a more important subject. What is it? It's one thing in my church. It's one thing in my church. And what Jesus does here, what he, he clears past all the fruit that can be easily seen. And let's say he clears past all the good, but then he zeroes in on what he knows and declares is absolutely best. So here he's not concerned with the fruit. He's more concerned with the root. He's more concerned with the root, which is the heart of the church. So this for us, man, this is a listen up message for the church as individuals making up the body of Christ. And of course, any church today, Jesus deals at the heart of what matters most. All right, here we go. When it comes to one thing in my church, number one is this. When it comes to one thing in my church, number one is our love for God must take first place. Our love for God must take first place. Look at verse two. Verse two says, I know. Let's stop right there. All seven letters, Jesus starts off with his address to the churches with, I know. Just think about that. I know. Jesus says, I know. Jesus Christ is God. He is omniscient. He knows all. He numbers the hairs on your head. He knows the exact second that you will live and he knows the exact second that you will die. 
Jesus Christ knows everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. Listen, because, because he is, he is everything. He just says, I know. I love that. We're going to see this too. He walks among the churches. Jesus Christ knows. He knows every heart in this place. He knows you far better than you could ever know yourself. His knowledge is infinite. His glory is infinite. He is awesome. He is holy. Listen, he knows. He says, I know. There's nothing he doesn't know. He is Lord and Savior. He's majestic. He is above everything we can ever imagine. He is, he is Lord of the universe. And he says, I know. I know. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. To read verses 2 and 3, man, I step back and I say, wow. This appears to be a pretty excellent report card that Jesus is giving to the Ephesian church. From these two verses, we see here that the leadership appears to be organized. The convictions of the church appear to be strong. Their perseverance appears to be admirable. It's helped by Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe here breaks down the effort of the Ephesian church into five S's. I want to go through them. He summarizes the church. Number one, we find out about the Ephesian church in verses two and three. Number one, they were a serving church. They were a serving church. He says, I know your works. So this means the church was not lazy. In fact, the Ephesians church then was active. They were busy for the Lord. They probably had multiple ministries going on for God. They were most likely engaged in their community. They were active in missions and on and on and on. They were a serving church. Uh, Secondly, they were a sacrificing church. Jesus says, I know your toil. Toil means to work hard. It means that they were laboring for the Lord. It means that they were sacrificing time and energy and effort for the church. I mean, really good stuff. A serving church, a sacrificing church. Thirdly, they were a steadfast church. Jesus says, I know your, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. The ESV does well translating here. I like that. Patient endurance. It means to remain under, specifically in relation to trials. The Ephesians church was not a quitting church. Jesus says, I know that you are patiently enduring. Fourthly, they were a separated church. It says there, it says, I, Know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. Again, this is very impressive. The Ephesian church in diligence seeking to root out evil men. They were uh, seeking to discern and detect false teachers. There was no tolerance for those who were not real, who were not authentic, who were teaching false teaching. They were testing them. They were seeking wisdom. This is hugely prominent in the New Testament seeking out false teaching, standing against false teaching and applying that which is true and right doctrine. This is the Ephesian church. They were serving, sacrificing, steadfast, separated. And fifthly, they this, they were a suffering church. Verse three, he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up, listen, for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Here again, we see, we see endurance, patience, pressing on, listen, all in the name of Jesus Christ. So if we stop right there, man, this church would appear to rock. If you stop right here, they're doing pretty well. It's kind of hard to poke holes in what's happening. Again, much to be admired. I mean, all these characteristics we here at this church would preach passionately about often. But let's allow the word of God to have its full effect. 
this list being presented as it is to bring that much more force in what is to follow. Verse four, but I have this against you, Jesus says, but I have this against you. Listen, listen, loved ones, listen to what Jesus is saying to us. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. But you have abandoned the love that you had at first. I believe we have just arrived at one of the more weighty verses in the New Testament. What we must do here is stop, consider, reflect, and apply the implications of what Jesus just said to his church. What is at the heart of verse 4? What is Jesus going after? One word, ready? Love. Love. The greatest thing Jesus wants in our lives and from our lives is love. The greatest thing he wants. Yes, he wants obedience. Yes, he wants us to pursue him and serving him. But greater than all these things, he wants our love. You know, the Ephesian church had started on fire about 40 years before this time, but their heat for Christ had cooled off. Amidst all their activity for the Lord within all their busyness, their love had grown cold. And notice how Jesus describes this love. He says, the love you had at first. As some translations say, first love. What is first love? What is the love you had at first? It's meeting Jesus Christ for the first time. And when you truly see Jesus Christ for the first time and you realize that you are a sinner and you realize that he is perfect and he has died for your sins and you believe and understand that he is Lord of the universe and he has come to die for the sins of the world and you see him as your way to life eternal and peace with God and no longer you will come under the wrath of God but you have now been forgiven and spared this because Jesus Christ has died in your place and you have received this gift of love upon your life. When you see this for the first time, time, what happens? What happens when you meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the initial time? This is what happens. Brokenness happens. Unspeakable joy happens. Massive humility happens. Amazing grace becomes amazing because he is everything. You are nothing. You deserve hell. He has given you heaven and he has given you all the spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ, all because he loves you. When you meet Jesus Christ for the first time, you love him. You give him your all. Here's what happens when you meet him for the first time. Worship explodes from your life. Prayer ignites from your heart. Love gushes from our lives. I ask you a question. Do you know what this is like? Have you encountered Jesus Christ in this way? It is awesome. It is so awesome. The world has nothing that even comes close. You know, by the grace of God, we have seen a lot of salvation uh, around here recently, which means we have also seen a lot of first love And I love first love. I love watching the joy. I love watching the life change. I love watching the 
inability to explain what Jesus means. I mean, literally people unable to articulate the truths that they have just encountered and that which Jesus has totally transformed. They are literally stumbling over their word with a smile as big as you can imagine, trying to articulate that which has now saved them. And he who is absolutely glorious and beautiful. It's like that verse we read tonight from John 9. And the blind man who was healed by Jesus and the Pharisees are so troubled because they hate Jesus and they hate that he has healed someone and they pull this blind man over multiple times and they say that Jesus, he is a sinner and the blind man responds, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And a few verses later, he would go and he would worship his savior and say, Lord, I believe. And he would be forever changed the joy, the love, the expression of first love. But the Ephesian church had abandoned their first love. Notice this, they had not lost their first love, they have left, they had left their first love. Loved ones, the Ephesian church had moved on to, look up here, look up here, they had moved on to normal Christianity. Out with normal Christianity. Casual, apathetic living is not biblical normal Christianity. Normal Christianity on the terms of scripture and by Jesus is first love Christianity. Three quick observations about first love. First love is hot with affection. First love in our lives is hot with affection. Secondly, first love will grow cold if not attended to. Thirdly, cold hearts grieve Jesus. First love is hot with affection. First love will grow cold if not attended to, and cold hearts grieve your Savior. See, we can never forget the simplicity and beauty of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God. Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loved ones, we need to seek wisdom and discernment in this matter, what Jesus is saying, because our first love can so easily become replaced or displaced. And I could easily talk about the idols right now, but let's get a little bit deeper than that. I mean, idols so easily replace our first love, but there are very good things that can also replace our first love for God. Do you know that people can love knowing about God more than loving God himself? We can love the ministry of the church. We can love using our gifts more than we love God himself. Some people love studying the Bible more than they actually love God. Some people love writing songs about God more than they actually love God. But what Christ wants is he wants our first love. The purity of our devotion so easily becomes misguided. Hear the voice of Christ. He wants our love. He wants our first love. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Jesus tells us one word, ready? Repent. Number two is this. Repentance must be our response. Repentance must be our response. There's no one that this doesn't apply to in some form this evening. Not one. Verse five says this. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. 
If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse five has four R's that I want us to pick up on. Uh, R number one is this. Jesus says, remember, remember, remember is a continual command, meaning keep on remembering. He says, remember from where you have fallen. So space has been created between the Ephesians first love and where they are presently. Jesus is saying to them, close the gap. Remember where you were and now close the gap from your first love affection to your present day cooling off. Remember, he says, he then says, repent. Second R is repent, which of course is absolutely essential in restoration with our God. You know what repentance is? Repentance, man, repentance is no excuses. Repentance is simply saying, I have sinned against you, Lord. I'm not making excuses. I'm not beginning to rationalize. Lord, I have sinned against you. Repentance tonight looks like this. I repent of my cold heart. I repent of my complaining spirit. I repent of my ingratitude. I repent, Lord, of my lack of love. I repent, Lord, with the fact that my heart has been cooled and the heat has not been strong. Remember, repent, then this, restore, restore. He says, and do the works you did at first. In other words, he's saying, bear the fruit of a first love heart. What is the fruit of a first love heart? The fruit of a first love heart is so many things, but here are some of them. Joy, sacrifice, selflessness, faith, Delight, generosity, brokenness, serving, love. Love is the fruit of a first love heart. Wonder how many of us, as we look back in our journey, we started off and the fire was burning bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we had lives where if I came up to you and I picked up on the heat that you were giving off, I would be like, wow, man, I am getting warm just standing next to you because of what Christ is doing in your life. That is so fun. But here's the reality. The wood and the fire has become separated. The heat is not gathered in the center. The flame has gone down and the heat is not nearly as strong. And this happens so much. And we just look around and we're like, well, I guess I'm, I'm just like everyone else now. No, incorrect. Canada is not the standard for what should be biblical Christianity. It is not. It is not. As a whole, it is pathetic. I keep looking at the Bible and here's what needs to happen. You got to get the wood back to the center. You got to get the logs, keep piling on top of one another. You got the flame to be reunited and then ignited. And you got to get that thing, that poker. I love fires. And you got to poke and stoke your fire. And you have to get your fire burning bright. You must seek to return to the first love that once burned so bright and clear. And listen, this is what Jesus wants to do in your heart tonight. And this is what Jesus wants to do in this church. There is one thing he wants above all else in this church, and it's first love activity. It is first love devotion. It is first love adoration. It is first love worship. It is first love surrender. It is first love brokenness. It is first love joy. And he wants to do that in your heart. 
And he wants to do that in my heart. Amazing. Restore, restore the works you did at first. And the fourth R is this, remove. But this is a super negative word. Look at what Jesus says in the second half of verse five. He says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here we see the consequences for the unrepentant loss of first love. What is the consequence? It is devastating for the church. It is devastating for the individual life. It's this. The consequence is that the light of Christ will cease to shine. You know, the city of Ephesus today is nothing more than a heap of stones. Completely uninhabited. It remained a city somewhere in the fourth century and it completely fell apart later on into the second millennium. At Live in the Light, we believe that through the faithful and the passionate preaching of God's word, disciples will be made and the church will be strengthened. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. We hope you join us again next time here on Live in the Light.